Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church is built up. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as a flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if a bugle, if a bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves. If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves. Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, if anyone speaks in a tongue, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks in your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. In the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are assigned for believers, are not assigned for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign, not a sign for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or unbeliever enters, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will remain forever. Amen? I think you can see and pick up from that passage that the gatherings of the Corinthians uh, were exciting. 
Uh, they were dynamic and emotionally stimulating. I have safe ground here to say that if you attended one of their worship services, you would not forget it based on that passage right there. But they failed in accomplishing the most important objective for gathering together as a community, namely that the whole church, that there was a possibility for everyone to be built up. Some individuals found a platform to exercise their spiritual gift, and some of those were edified individually in doing so, but others were left out, and some felt belittled, and there were others who were just plain confused. And the bottom line was that the church as a community was not being strengthened. You saw that five times Paul talks about building up or edifying the body. He's already given us the picture of the body in chapter 12. The, the, the church is like a body with many different parts, and it needs to be strengthened. It's the body of Christ, and, and we need to, to grow more and more into maturity to, to look like the one who is our king that we sung to and we continue to sing to this morning. And they were missing badly because they weren't even aiming at that goal, the most important goal of building up the church. And that really is the burden this morning of this text. This is the, the main theme of our text and our, the message this morning. That the goal of our gatherings, whether it's gathering here on Sunday morning, whether it's gathering with your home group during the week, whether it's getting together with your life transformation group or just getting together with another believer to encourage one another, the, the, the goal is that the church, that those gathered be built up that they be edified, that that edify work, that word is from the, the, the realm of building and construction. You're putting something, you're putting a building together, and every time you add a piece, it looks more like the plan and like what it's supposed to. And in particular, the apostle writes to us this morning that the way to do this is by eagerly pursuing expressions of the spirits, spiritual gifts, Expressions of the Holy Spirit in our midst and, and through one another, and especially this gift of prophecy. It appears that all spiritual gifts are not created equal. Chapter 12, verse 31, we've already learned that, that we should earnestly desire the higher gifts. And prophecy appears to be a priority gift. Right in the first verse of chapter 14, our text this morning, Paul says, uh, eagerly, earnestly, zealously desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And so this morning, um, I want us to take a look at this passage and, and drill down deeper where Paul puts his emphasis in terms of the gift of prophecy. And I realize that we're, we're in a text here that is talking about two spiritual gifts that, that some of us may have experience with and others of us may not have experience with in terms of speaking in tongues and in terms of prophecy. And we may have certain notions about speaking in tongues and we have, may have certain notions about what prophecy is. But I want to encourage you to focus on what Paul and what ultimately God's word focuses in on here. And not any way that you've seen those particular gifts used or potentially abused. 
Because it's very clear the goal of this text is for us to, to, to cultivate in our midst the use of this gift and to ask for and to pray for and to see more of this gift of prophecy. And so we need to understand what it is and how to cultivate it in the local church. So let's do that this morning. Four questions we're going to look at as we understand God's word this morning uh, regarding prophecy. It's a what question, a why question, a who question, and a how question regarding this priority gift. So first of all, what is prophecy? What is prophecy as it's presented here in God's word? Well, again, it is a spiritual gift. And if you remember from our uh, message Chapter 12, first part of chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. A spiritual gift is, is any ability empowered by the Holy Spirit that a Christian uses to serve the church body. It's the ways that we've been empowered, gifted by the Holy Spirit. It's a grace, it's a gift, it's something that we didn't have, but then in coming to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has come to live in us, and the Holy Spirit has also given us gifts to serve one another. And if you look again at the slide that has these four major lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament, if you recall from that sermon uh, early in March on spiritual gifts, we, we just looked at this real briefly, and we noted that this is just a representative list of gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the four major passages where, where more than just a couple gifts are listed in the New Testament, but it's not an exhaustive list. Okay, it's a representative list. There, there are other things that are gifts and manifestations and expressions of the Spirit that aren't listed here. But it's interesting to note that there is one gift listed in all four of the, the major gift lists in the New Testament, and it is this prophetic gift, this gift of prophecy. So that would seem to, to just confirm what Paul is saying here, that there is a, a certain priority on this gift. And so let's understand what it is, and also what it is not. And here's what I believe prophecy, the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is not. I do not think that prophecy in the New Testament is simply preaching. Uh, many times it's been taught in many, many certain um, Christian context and church context, it's taught that this gift of prophecy is simply preaching or more particularly expository preaching. Now, I know that the gift of prophecy is employed in preaching, and I know that it is employed in the preparation to preach, because every time I prepare to preach and every time that I actually preach, I say things that I know didn't come from me. So the gift of prophecy is engaged there, but I don't think it's a, it's a one for one. I don't think it's, it's all that based on this passage because it's clear that this is a gift for, for all believers, for men and for women, for young and for old, for, for all believers. And I don't think that, that preaching God is calling everyone to preach. Secondly, I, I, this gift is not predicting the future. It's not a gift uh, that is prophetic in terms of preaching the future. I know sometimes we joke about one another being prophetic, maybe even in that way. Uh, but that's, that's not it. Nor is it giving specific direction. It's like someone walks up to you and says, I have a word for the Lord. You need to move to Albuquerque. Uh, 
I would be a little bit, be more than a little bit suspicious of that. Um, but I don't think that's the gift of prophecy. Nor is it the same thing as the Old Testament prophets. Now, they were speaking directly words that the Lord had revealed to them for, for the community in an Old Testament, Old Covenant context. And those words that got written down actually became Scripture. And the ministry, the New Testament gift of prophecy is not on par with Scripture. Please hear me saying that this morning. What we're talking about, prophetic words, prophetic utterances, they all come under this word. This is the only authoritative word that everything that you and I read in it, we must follow and do to God's glory and our everlasting good. And prophecy as a spiritual gift in the church, is, is not on par with Scripture. In fact, it needs to be tested. It needs to be judged by Scripture. So what is it? In studying this, I've run across a number of very helpful definitions for the gift of prophecy. This is actually uh, an area in a passage that has seen a lot of study and good writing and preaching on um, in the last 40 years or so. It seems like in previous generations, there was kind of a divide. There were, there were Pentecostals and Charismatics who saw prophecy as being this, and there were uh, Evangelicals and others who said, well, we don't think it's that, and we probably think it's preaching, and that was just kind of where it ended. And in the last 40 years, there's been some very helpful writing and um, teaching on this. Uh, uh, Don Carson has a very excellent uh, section of this in his book, Showing the Spirit and Others. And I'm going to take a I'm going to go with a definition from a friend of mine, Pastor Mike Bullmore, who's a pastor in Kenosha, Wisconsin. His uh, message that I listened to over the last couple of weeks was very helpful in thinking through this passage. Prophecy is speaking something that God, the Holy Spirit, has specifically brought to your mind for the edification of others that ends up being powerful for a particular moment. It's something that the Holy Spirit reveals to you and you have a burden to speak it. There's an impression on your consciousness. I need to tell my brother or sister that or, or I, I, I feel as though I need to speak this in the midst of our home group. And you don't know exactly where it came from. It's not part of maybe your ordinary train of thought, but there's a burden there. Now, it's not infallible. It's not authoritative for a number of reasons. First of all, maybe you just plain got it wrong. In the words of Ebenezer Scrooge, it could be a, a bit of undercooked potato. On the other end, the receiver might not have heard it correctly. And, and you might not have said it exactly right. And so it's not authoritative. On the other hand, we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes there in verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every evil. And if we keep going down in chapter 14 to verse 29, you're going to see that Paul says the very same thing in 1 Corinthians. Weigh what is said. Test what is said. If it's, if it's contrary to Scripture in any way, shape, or form, forget about it. So how might this happen? I can, there are a lot of ways that 
prophecy could, could be exercised in our gatherings, probably less so in a gathering like this where, honestly, I'm doing most of the talking, but more in our home groups where there's more of an interaction and where many of us should be speaking different types of words of grace to one another. And you might be sitting in your home group and somebody, is, a sister or brother is sharing a, a prayer request and a burden and something comes to mind. I feel, like, I feel like that would be an encouragement to that person. And you're burdened to say that. Now at this point, we don't even know if that's prophecy or not. But if having said that, it turns out that that person says, you know what, that was the right, right word for that moment. I really needed that. It had some pop. It had some impact. I think the Lord gave you that. I think that's how we should understand prophecy and the way that it exercises. And, and quite frankly, is that some, does that sound like some far out, crazy, weird thing? I mean, to me, that's a pretty normal deal. We're brothers and sisters, we're gathered, we're around God's word, we're speaking grace to one another. And then someone speaks something, they don't say, well, I will now utter a prophecy to you, my sister. Well, they just say something, and you're, and, and you're like, hey, that's what I needed. That was it. I think that's what prophecy is, as we should understand it here from God's word. And Paul says this is a priority gift. It's a priority expression of the Holy Spirit. And so be zealous for it. Be earnestly desire. Verse 5, it's a greater gift. And so we should ask the question, okay, why? Why, Paul, the priority on prophecy? What makes it superior? What makes it a greater gift? Well, short answer, there's greater potential and capacity for upbuilding. That's been the theme. That's the overarching theme of this passage, right? We, we need to be exercising expressions of the Holy Spirit that build up, have greater capacity to build up more of the whole body gathered. That's the short answer. But, but then we still need to ask why. What is it about these words? What is it about this type of speech that has a greater capacity to build one another up as a community. Five things quickly about the kind of words that prophetic words are that enable them by God's grace to have the capacity and ability to build up the church. First, they are community words. They're words given to one individual that are meant to benefit the whole. Look, at, look again at verse four. The issue with tongues, with speaking in this angelic voice or, or, or language, is when it was happening in the gathered church in Corinth, that was great for the person who was doing that. They went away really encouraged, but unless there was someone to interpret, nobody else knew what was going on. Prophecy are intelligible words. They have the capacity to build up more people. That's, that's actually the second one. These are intelligible words. They have a greater capacity to build up the whole body uh, because they're intelligible. Look, look again at verse 6. Paul says, listen, it's, it's interesting. Later, Paul says something that we didn't really know about Paul. You probably wouldn't have known about Paul if you didn't read this passage. He says, hey, I, I speak in tongues more than y'all. But here's the deal. If I come to you doing that, 
rather than speaking intelligible words like a word of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching, I won't be any good. What we need are intelligible words when we're gathered together. And he says something really uh, humbling for preachers in verse 19. Did you see the ratio there of intelligible words to other words? Because I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 words in a heavenly language. 10,000 words to wow and excite you. Now, I don't speak 10,000 words on a Sunday morning. I know it might feel like that. I was trying to do the math, and it's somewhere between two and 3,000 is best. I mean, I had to take my notes and do a word, but I speak way more notes than are words that are in my notes. And so, but anyway, I'm, I'm speaking like, and Paul's like, yeah, Dave, you can shut up. <laughs> and if you could just speak five words of grace to God's people, that would have more impact than four sermons if they were the right words for the moment, if the Spirit had impressed it upon you. Intelligible words. Words that point to God and His glory, to Christ and His work. Thirdly, these are stirring and soothing words. Paul says in verse 3 that the goal is to, by speaking these words, to upbuild. And then he uses two other words there, to encourage and to give consolation. Encouraging words. This is the word for the, the paraclete word, the, the exhortation word, the, the word that will, will motivate us, the word that will give us give us counsel, what we need to hear to spur us on to love and good deeds. These are stirring words, but they're also soothing words. That second word for consolation there is only used one time in the New Testament, and it speaks of words that are tender, caring, well-placed. One of my uh, favorite books from a long time ago is written by an author um, Puritan guy named Richard Sibbs. Uh, it is the, the book, The Bruised Reed, based on Isaiah 42, verse 33, that Jesus, as it were, if he saw a bruised reed, who, who would care if they were walking through the field and they saw a, a bruised reed just broken? Just let it go. Whack your hand at it and let it break off. But Jesus... He, he, would, he would not break off a bruised reed. And, and Jesus had gotten a hold of Sibs's heart, and, he, and if you haven't read that book, I would highly recommend it. He became known in his writing and speaking as the sweet dropper. The sweet dropper. Because he spoke words of grace that were like honey dropping on your tongue. See, these kinds of words that the Spirit can give us to speak to one another, I like that they are soothing words. Sweet drops of honey that we need to hear from one another that will build us up as a body. Fourth, they're, they're relevant words. Relevant for a number of audiences. I'll just mention them briefly. This is written to believers. So Paul is writing to all the believers in Corinth saying, these are the kinds of words that you want to see, kind of gifts of the Spirit. 
These will build you up. But in verse 16, he also talks about another group of folks. Uh, The ESV calls them outsiders. Um, I I don't know that that's the best term. Uh, I think there's perhaps a footnote that says, it's just, it's a word that means novice or uninitiated, so we're not exactly sure what it is. Maybe it means the person who doesn't have the gift of tongue, uh, tongues is, is confused by that. Uh, whatever it is, it's probably someone who is newer in the faith. Maybe what we sometimes call an inquirer or a seeker or just a new believer. And so th- these are words that will help that group. And then we see in verses 24 and 25, these are words that can radically transform an unbeliever. And I'm just, as I was reading that, I was just reminded that we need to be careful about our language and and kind of the terminology that we use sometimes in the church and be careful about our our sort of insider language, that, that we speak things that are intelligible for all kinds of people. People who have been believers for 25 years, people who are new believers, people who are not yet in the faith, all of those groups are represented here every Sunday, are they not? That's who we are. And so we need to be careful, right? Not to say things like, hey, or just be careful about saying things like, hey, why don't you come to KBC and be part of my LTG? They might say, okay. Or they might say, that's a little bit confusing. Could you just speak, just speak some intelligible words to me? Finally, these are God-glorifying words. These are God-glorifying words. With the outsider or the, the new believer or the uninitiated, verses 16 and 17, the goal is that they can resonate, that they can say amen. Folks, if you needed a green light for saying amen, <laughs> when we're gathered, you just got it. They're saying yes, they're saying yeah. We're saying, that's right. Or when we're gathered in our home groups and we're praying together, um, if that's within your, you know, personality makeup, to, to pray along with people, say, yes, Lord. Lord, would you do that? There's that idea of resonating with one another. And these are God-glorifying words because they can be saving words. Paul says, you know what? If, best case scenario, there was much prophetic many prophetic gifts being given in your gathering. And an unbeliever entered in. That unbeliever, through words from God being spoken, could be convicted, could be called to account, secrets of his heart disclosed, and falling on his face, become a worshiper of God. These are powerful words. You can see why they should be a priority. And, and perhaps this, these five aspects of these words could be sort of a, a measuring stick or a barometer. Say, okay, am I engaging in these kinds of words? Are we as a church body engaging in these kinds of words? Well, are there words that are building up the community? Is there speech that is intelligible, both stirring and soothing, relevant to many, to all different types of people where they are in their faith walk? and ultimately God-glorifying words. When when those things are going on, we know that this gift, even if we don't identify it all the time and say there's something prophetic, we know that it's going on. The third, who should be prophesying? For whom is this gift? And I hope it's clear that this is for all believers. Paul says in verse 5, now, 
I want you all to speak in tongues. No, I will not be commenting on that right now. We can talk about it later. I want you all to speak in tongues, but this is what I really want. I want you all to prophesy. I I want us all to be seeking this gift. This is going to be good for the entire body if you seek this particular gift. In verse 24, he he paints sort of an ideal picture of, of many people engaged in prophetic gift. And I know I can hear what you're saying. I'm not so sure I have this gift. I mean, aren't we all gifted differently? Don't we all have different spiritual gifts? Well, yes, but also no. I think maybe we need to adjust and refine our definition of spiritual gifts. Perhaps we've, we've imported sort of our, our world's idea of gifting or, or personality types. I'm this personality type. I'm, I'm left-handed. I'm artistic. I'm a numbers guy. Remember, we're talking about spiritual gifts, graces. These were given to us. And they can be given to you just because you don't sense you have it now. These are gifts that God wants to give. These are graces from him. And so I think it's helpful to also think of spiritual gifts about abilities that God gives in a specific situation to minister his grace. This has been God's desire all along in terms of gifting his people to speak words, stirring words, soothing words, words that he gives them. There's a wonderful anticipation of this, several in the Old Testament. Uh, in Numbers chapter 11, Moses, Moses, if you remember this, the work of the Spirit in the Old Testament, uh, it's much more limited in the Old Covenant uh, than it is in the New Covenant. In fact, the sign of the New Covenant era is the, the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. And in the Old Testament, we see that the Spirit is, is mainly limited to people like prophets and priests and kings. Kings, one of whom is Moses. And there's a point in the story in Numbers chapter 11 where uh, the Spirit comes to rest uh, temporarily on some elders of the people and some others. And and Joshua isn't so sure about this. Uh, Numbers 11, beginning at verse 25. And Moses responds, because Joshua's kind of trying to put the clamps on this. Moses responds, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And that, in fact, is the promise of of God's people in the new covenant era. The prophet Joel wrote about the the coming era of the Messiah. Chapter 2, verse 28, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants, in those days, I will pour out my spirit. And remember that when the spirit was poured out on God's people, on the day of Pentecost, that Peter referred to this passage and said, this is what's happening the kingdom of heaven is coming, and the gift of the Spirit has been given to God's people, to all of God's people. And so what I encourage us not to think about 
this gift of prophecy like playing the guitar. I really wanted to play the guitar when I was a kid. I thought Elvis was so cool. I, wanted to, I watched his movies. I wanted to be just like him. But after two years of guitar lessons, all I knew was that I had sore fingers and every good boy does fine. And apparently I wasn't a good boy because I wasn't doing so fine. And I never learned to play the guitar. And so now, to me, the world is divided into guitar players and non-guitar players. There are people who play the guitar and there are people who don't play the guitar. I don't think we should think necessarily about prophecy that way. There may be people, there are people, the scripture says, that have more of, of a residence of the prophetic gift. But I think we should think more of it like, more like singing. I don't sing well, but I can sing and I can make a joyful noise. But we, anyone who is healthy is able to sing. We're all able to sing. The, the possibility is there. And I think the possibility is there for us to speak these words of encouragement and consolation to one another. Finally, how do we cultivate this ministry? If this is a priority gift, we're going to want to know how to cultivate it in our midst. Three R's. First, we need to recognize our pride and our selfishness. We need to recognize our pride in perhaps dismissing the gift of prophecy. I, I don't quite understand that what that is, or I don't think I, I know what that is, or I don't have it, or I'm not a charismatic, or, or whatever the excuse might be. We need to understand what this gift is. And we need to confess our selfishness. That oftentimes you and I are more concerned with, with our own spiritual gift. What did I get out of that home group meeting? What did I get out of that worship service? More concerned with my being built up and not caring about and building up our brothers and sisters and the body as a whole. About us being strengthened. There is a building, an edifice, that I pass by every time I drive out here. And it's a building that was, construction was begun, there's a foundation, there are walls, there are trusses, but it's not complete. And there's a bunch of building materials been sitting for months next to that building. And nobody, nobody drives past that building and says, well, isn't that a wonderful foundation and, and isn't the, aren't the walls great? And isn't the insulation really good? And, and the rough plumbing is really nice. What do they say and what do they think? That's a crummy building because <laughs> it's not complete. We want to see all of the building, all of God's building being built up. And if there are parts of the building that aren't being built up of God's church, the local expression of that, we should be thinking this building is not complete yet. It, doesn't, it isn't what it's supposed to be. We need to do some more work at building up the whole church. So we need to repent of our pride and selfishness, recognize it, and then repent of it. Secondly, that there are sins that there are ways that we sin against one another corporately as, as a body. But as we re repent, we must seek God's grace, and we need to exercise faith. Todd said, that's the Christian life. 
Repentance and faith, repentance and faith over and over again. And in faith, reorient our focus by seeking to be, first of all, word-saturated. The easiest way to get sideways with the gift of prophecy is to attempt to exercise it untethered from the authoritative word of God. On the other hand, when Christians are saturated in Scripture, I like how John Piper talks about being bibline. Like if you cut us, the Bible will come out. Because we are so saturated with Scripture. When, when we do that, we have a greater capacity, I think, and possibility for prophetic gifts to be, to be exercised. We need to, need to grease the wheels a little bit. I've got a pencil sharpener. I'm cheap, so I trash-picked an electric pencil sharpener because I've got to keep my colored pencils sharp so I can do this with my little color coding system. And so I need sharp pencils, electric pencil sharpener, the first time I use it, and many times after, it screeches to high heaven. But I did what every, every manly man does. If you can't fix it with duct tape, you can fix it with WD-40. <laughs> so I shot a bunch of WD-40 in there. It screeched for a few more seconds, and now it, it just purrs like a kitten. And I have sharp pencils, colored pencils, and I'm a happy guy. We need to grease the wheels of our speaking these grace-filled words uh, to one another. And when we're saturated with God's word, we will more naturally speak that to one another in ways that impact and have pop and are the right word for the moment. Secondly, we need to be spiritually expected to align ourselves with the Holy Spirit, asking him to give gifts. This can change the way we pray before our home groups. God, would you give gifts? Would you give gifts that we can speak these words of grace to one another? And I think it requires that paradigm shift, that spiritual gifts are not just stagnant, I have this gift or I am this gift, but there, there are gifts that God gives in specific situations for his glory. And then finally, we need to be one another focused. Being saturated in God's word is only half the equation. The other half is to be in vital relationship with my brothers and sisters. This is a community gift. It's, it's a person-to-person -person expression of the Holy Spirit. And so we need, to, we need to make space in our gatherings for the Holy Spirit by, by looking outside of ourselves, by putting ourselves in the way of grace. This is a way that we love one another. We haven't, we haven't advanced beyond 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul began by saying, talking about words. You can speak in the tongue of men. You can speak in the tongues of angels. 10,000 words, however many it is. If you don't have love, you and I, clanging symbol. We're nothing. So Paul began this very passage this morning. Pursue love. Pursue love as you speak these kinds of words to one another. I want to leave you with a beautiful picture of a spirit-directed ministry of grace-filled word. And interestingly enough, it comes from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah writes 
in chapter 50, verse 4. The Lord God gave me, it's a gift. The Lord God gave me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Him who is weary. God, he says, gave me this. A tongue of those who are taught. In other words, empathy. Empathy for others so that I can sustain someone with a word or a couple of words or a sentence. That person who is weary. And friends, Isaiah wasn't talking about himself. Isaiah was talking about the one who, just a few verses later, said, I give my back to those who strike me, and my cheek to those who pull my beard, and I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. He's talking about our Savior. These are the kinds of words that, that Jesus spoke. Even his enemies had to say, no one ever spoke like he did. His disciples said, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And when we are in him, when we are in Jesus Christ, his children filled with his spirit, saturated with his word, seeking to be led by the spirit, God can give us words that will sustain a brother or sister to his glory. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.